Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peak, MUFON field investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia. And today's episode is sponsored by GD Blings and Things. Their brand new store is just about to drop, so we'll keep you updated on that. Today, we have very special guest, Frank Stoller, the creator of the UFO Partisan Blogspot and the host of UFO News Network Sundays on YouTube. We'll get into a lot of information of what, where his inspiration came from to join the UFO community, as well as his recent conversation with Dr. Gary Nolan. So we have a lot to go over, so strap on them seatbelts, we're going for a ride. All right, welcome to episode 59 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peake, MUFON field investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia. And today's episode is sponsored by GD Blings and Things and All Things UFO Facebook group. Today we have a very special guest. We have Frank Stalter, who is the host of UFO News Network Sundays on YouTube and the creator of the UFO Partisan Blogspot. Frank, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, Jesse. How you doing today? Good, doing well. Uh, it's nice weather out today. Not too hot yet. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I noticed that this morning. There's a big difference from yesterday. Yeah, definitely a little bit nicer out this morning. So taking it in before it gets a little warmer out today. But uh, how are you? How you doing today? I'm doing good. Uh, you know, I haven't uh, done my own uh, podcast in over a year now. It's uh, uh, been a little while, so it's been uh, really quite some time since I've had a chance to talk about UFOs in any kind of detail. Well, there you go. Today's the perfect time, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when I first got into the field, you know, I started listening to the podcast. You know, I was a little late finding everybody because I didn't know that there was a community for it. And your show was one of the first ones that I listened to uh, when I got into the YouTube realm. <laughs> um, you and yeah, Chad. it takes a while. It takes a while, you know, to get uh, uh there's a lot you know a lot has built up over a long time and you know of course the last five years have been particularly interesting i started a little bit before that i really got into it in 2009 so there were some dark ages there where as far as happening news news happening right in the moment uh there wasn't that much it was slow right right absolutely so that actually comes to my first question of um you know how, how did you get involved into the ufo field like what grabbed your attention well, I uh, I got too old to play hockey. <laughs> that had been my hobby into my into my forties, and I was kind of floundering around for a little while. And what happened was, uh, I'd been interested in UFOs as a kid, of course. Yeah, uh, 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 you know, I was a kid in the seventies, and uh, it got a lot of attention back in the early seventies. There were a lot of great cases back then. It was it was getting mainstream attention, so I got into it at that point. And just, you know, over time kind of drifted away. And then uh, as, a, as an older guy, you know, in my late uh, 40s, uh, I, I thought, well, I'll put some time into this. I need a, need a new hobby and I'll uh, get into it and started sort of poking around uh, old archives and things like that. And I started turning some stuff up. And basically, if, uh, yeah, if you go to the uh, the Blogspot website, the UFO Partisan Blogspot website, uh, you'll actually see if you look right down uh, the left-hand column. Uh, basically, uh, that's sort of uh, they're all sort of in chronological order of the different stories that I wrote. So that story about the uh, Truman White House meeting uh, regarding the DC-52 case, yes. that was like the first thing that I found on my own. You know, I was digging around uh, uh, that area, and I was really focused on ufos during the truman administration uh so many great cases from back then and so many stories uh regarding all what happened maybe some of them true maybe some of them exaggerated but i really got into that and you know i found that uh well there's something here there's something here that other people haven't found just yet even though it's very old material and i just went from there and started making contacts started email sending people fan emails you know right. uh of uh you know saying hey i appreciate your work and uh, they're very approachable ufo people are uh, i think you found this out too ufo uh, people are very approachable very accessible and uh, started conversations and 
uh, got me thinking about this and let me look over here and let me see what's going on with this and see if I can find out some more. And for a while there, for a couple, three years there, I just kept finding new stuff that was worth digging in on and writing up. And then uh, just uh, got a little bit more into the Facebook stuff and uh, making contacts there and just uh, continuing on and then uh, you know then we got to uh, uh, the new york times story uh, and to the stars in 2017 and right it really uh, really boosted from there yeah a lot of interesting stuff has been happening within the past five years especially with the ufo field um one question i have for you when you were coming up because uh, you came into the field at a different time than i did who were some of the people that were pretty relevant at that time when you were coming in do you, do you have any any specific people that were really big at that time? Uh, to be honest, I really made an active choice to not look at any of the other, okay. <laughs> except for the ones that I was talking to, is to not really look at uh, too many of the other researchers. Uh, basically, uh, what I wanted to do was go back and find archives, find documents, right. uh, things like that. That's what I was looking at. But uh, there were a couple people that I did make contact with and uh, did make a real difference for me. Uh, one of them was Angela Joyner. She was a, a reporter in uh, the Stephenville, Texas area. Uh, and I made contact with her not long after that case really generated a lot of attention. That's a case that I still like a lot. Uh, so she was... Uh, uh, she was uh, getting involved in the UFO field. So, yeah, I sent her a fan email and uh, hooked up with her on Facebook and all that. And also uh, Tony Bergalia, okay. who was writing a lot about the uh, reverse engineering and the the, uh, the advances in uh, uh, metals and alloy technology in the post-Roswell era. So those were the two people and uh, uh, that I really had some contact with and definitely helped. But for the most part, I really wanted to stay with documents, really wanted to stay with sort of verifiable accounts of things rather than worry about what other people's interpretations of what all this means are. Just I wanted to stick to the facts and try to report them. Right and uh, write about them. And, and yeah, of course, uh, provide my own analysis and opinion, which might be completely crazy, but you know, I, I did that too. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I didn't, I didn't look uh, too much at uh, too many of the, uh, the main researchers. I really wanted to stay. Uh, I, I didn't want any filters on the stuff that I was looking at. I wanted, uh, I wanted to get the straight stuff. Right. Um, now you mentioned Tony. Um, I think it was last year or maybe a little later than that. He, uh, he got one of his, FOIA request back. I don't know if you've seen that about materials. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we had him on the show. He was a guest on our show. And, uh, uh, you know, when that when it came out, you know, obviously he emailed me about that and uh, looked at the uh, looked at the uh, the dirt, the uh, uh, the reports that uh, uh, put off and uh, uh, OSAP had uh, commissioned and uh, looked through those. And yeah, so uh, yeah, we were uh, all over that. Yeah, absolutely, we were. So, what were your thoughts on that? The, um, the what the information that he got back. Um, do you think it was all, um, you know, was do you believe that it was true? Everything that was on that document. I mean, it came from the government, so obviously. Well, well, yeah. Uh, what the put off had done was he commissioned uh, various uh, experts in various fields that uh, you know had expertise i think uh, metallic spintronics and uh, transparent metal uh, there were a few others uh, uh, metamaterials uh, that type of thing uh, and uh, basically he just went to experts in the field uh, that, to give sort of a, a status update on where uh, the the subject matter was now and what might be possible in the future so basically what he assembled was sort of a, a library of uh, from experts from acknowledged experts in their various fields and yeah we went through uh, went through the papers uh, tried to explain them as uh, best we could um, you know right, right after I mean I went uh, went through the stuff and uh, looked around additionally because those papers were commissioned uh, back in uh, I guess roughly uh, 2004-ish or whatever 2007-ish 2008-ish is when they were committed uh, so, or uh, commissioned and you know, a decade has passed since then. So I was also 
uh, looking to see if uh, things had progressed any. Uh, so, I mean, that, that, that was basically uh, what those papers were, essentially a reference library for the kind of uh, uh, advanced technology that might be of some use uh, you know, in the future. Right. And then speaking of that, um, on your uh, the UFO partisan blog spot, you had a, a conversation uh, with Dr. Gary Nolan um, about materials right, right. and things like that. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that was basically right after the New York Times story came out. So what uh, what had been happening is a little bit before the Times story and this kind of uh, I wasn't aware of it. Uh, but uh, this happened at the contact in the desert, the fall before the New York Times story came out. Uh, he had been working, uh, uh, Dr. Nolan had been working with Jacques Vallée, and Vallée did a presentation at contact in the desert, uh, going through some of the details of uh, uh, pieces of material that he and Nolan had uh, in hand and had done some testing on. And, and since then, and, uh, uh, he was talking about this uh, uh, with me back then, that, uh, yeah, they were doing some testing, uh, they were going to... Uh, Put out a paper, which they have done uh, within the last few months. They uh, they did actually put out a paper on one of the pieces uh, that uh, that they turned up. Oh, I didn't even hear about that. Um, do you, do you recall what, yeah. what they found? Uh, not uh, not necessarily ET. Uh, you see, what happens is, and uh, going back on the material stuff, this goes back ways. These curious pieces turn up a lot. Right. And uh, they get tested and generally they come up kind of empty. Uh, so uh, uh, MUFON, for example, uh, had uh, has tested uh, plenty of pieces over the years. Uh, they've gotten hold of it now. They've gotten it tested. And uh, one of the things that uh, Belay and uh, during his presentation, uh, uh, Nolan uh, in his, uh, uh, his exchanges with me, focused on was the uh, uh, differences in isotopic ratios that uh, that might indicate that possibly uh, the uh, particular piece might be from uh, not from this earth you know and uh, the, but there, there's a little bit of a catch to that because uh, not only uh, Nolan but also uh, uh, Peter Sturrock who had gotten hold of some pieces uh, a number of years ago. He's a professor at Stanford. I also uh, interviewed him briefly a number of years ago. Uh, they had, uh, uh, they both had tested different pieces of material over the years. And you know, one thing is uh, isotopic ratio. Uh, one thing to keep in mind is that manufacturing processes can alter uh, the isotopes. Uh, they can burn off uh, the uh, lighter isotopes. So <clears throat> uh, you, you have to look for a range and it's still pretty foggy. Uh, I, there, there was nothing and uh, no, nobody said that, that there was anything in the more recent uh, <clears throat> Nolan paper and uh, even the, the older paper, which I've got a link to uh, at the, the site. I, I linked to it. You, you mentioned that Nolan article. There's also a link to uh, the the, uh, the Sturrock research and the, the Sturrock paper that he wrote, that uh, it's key that uh, uh, there's a range in terms of isotopic ratio just because of manufacturing processes. So you got to be a little careful. Uh, I don't think uh, either effort has turned up a smoking gun. Right. Yeah, it's usually how it works out, right? Usually you, can, you don't get the smoking gun, but it's not nothing. It's usually like that in-between thing where we're unsure, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also, hey, uh, there are uh, there are other applications, you know, uh, the uh, uh, the uh, advances uh, that we went through in the uh, the post-war era in terms of uh, proving alloying and uh, improving uh, manufacturing processes uh, made the jet age possible, let alone the space age. So that's uh, that's important to keep in mind that we really went whole hog in that. Uh, now, uh, the Nazis rather famously did, in fact, develop jets, uh, jet fighters at the tail end of World War II, but the engines broke down really quick. They're only good for about 100 hours of flight before the engines had to get rebuilt because uh, the metals couldn't stand the heat. So we needed, we needed to do that. Now, whether or not something that might have crashed in Roswell helped along uh, uh, that process, uh, you know, the, that's uh, that's open to speculation. But I'm open to that possibility for sure. Okay, so you so you, do you believe in Clifford Stone uh, or not Clifford Stone? I'm sorry, the other gentleman. Um, I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, who who stated that we we took these materials and we basically distributed them um, and created you know um, uh, infrared. Um, 
computer oh, you're talking chips. About, uh, Corso. Phil Corso. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, well, believe is a believe should always be a high bar, you know. Right. Uh, but uh, as a general principle. Yeah, uh, when uh, you get uh, something advanced, uh, basically even with uh, the titanium industry, uh, titanium uh, was uh, not uh, commercially uh, produced. Uh, it was too expensive to extract from the ore. Uh, basically, the established uh, steel manufacturers, uh, metal manufacturers, uh, if you needed something strong, you went with steel, which was very heavy. And as we've advanced in aircraft, not necessarily uh, the best uh, to use. Uh, you know, with aircraft, you need something lighter, you know what I mean? Lighter and stronger. And if you needed something light, you went with aluminum, which uh, breaks down, you know, it, it won't, uh, won't stand the stress of uh, uh, aircraft flight and, uh, as an engine part, that type of thing. So, yeah, uh, they uh, started the, uh, the government underwrote it. They, uh, in uh, late, uh, uh, at some point in 1947, uh, 48, uh, the uh, government basically underwrote uh, the fledgling uh, uh, titanium manufacturing industry. Basically, they, they made sure that it was profitable. They, they paid uh, uh, these uh, production companies enough money to, to make it profitable. Because for any like normal use, it really wasn't. You know, it didn't make any sense to spend uh, uh, that kind of money. And you know, who would want titanium? Who needs it? Well, now of course, uh, uh, again, it's been passed around. People have used it. My eyeglasses frames are made out of titanium. Golf clubs are made out of titanium. So right. the, uh, they use them for a lot of different things now. But it was that passing around process and said, "Hey, see what you can do with this." Um, you know, and that's what uh, that's what got it going, and that the same sort of thing might have happened in bits and pieces uh, regarding uh, some kind of uh, ET crash retrieval. Yeah, I mean uh, that, that's how it would have been done. Uh, the same way it would have been done with uh, lots of other things. Yeah, it reminds me of the one the one incident that happened in Russia um, way way back, um, and different pieces of metals that weren't even uh, created at that time were found coils. Um, different pieces of, of rebar um, that they crashed into the side of the mountain. And, um, you know, I mean, to, to not have that stuff um, being made publicly and then to find that kind of thing, you know, it definitely gives credit to the possibility that this is how we have definitely jumped forward technology-wise in building these craft that we have today. Yeah, that I don't know any real details about. It sounds vaguely familiar, but I can tell you a guy that uh, we had on our show would absolutely know a lot about it. It's Paul Stonehill. Okay, yeah, yeah. I know the name. Very familiar. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you wanted to talk to Paul in some detail about that, you talk to him, no problem. Okay. So, you, so now you're also here in Philadelphia with me, right? Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Uh, I'm in the Philly area, yeah. And... Uh, so, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so uh, I got yeah, it. it's, a, it's a good, uh, it's a good little location. Uh, there, there are quite a few uh, UFO folks who live in the area. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I like going to the uh, the Mufon mainline Mufon conference uh, meetings once a month at the library, uh, which is really okay. great. Um, it's it's a Driffin Library, um, and they hold different ones once a month. Yeah, I've been out there. They ran a. Uh, uh, they screened uh, the Travis Walton movie out there. Yes, so yes. I did go to one of those. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Were you there for that? No, I was not. Um, oh, okay. I did not. I <laughs> this, was a, this was a few years ago now. Okay, yeah. Um, they're just starting the meetings up again. So um, they're supposed to be having a screening of, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Alan B. Smith. Um, he's he's another guy on the radios and doing podcasting and researching, but he's coming out with his new movie, Half Light. Um, it's got a lot of people within the community that they'll be screening. So it's pretty neat. But um, okay. as I was saying anyway, but you're from Philadelphia. So I got to ask you about our one of our most famous sightings, Kecksburg. <laughs> and, uh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, the crash retrieval stuff is coming up. And yeah, I like that case. I'm 100% I'm convinced that something came down and that uh, uh, the Army went out and picked it up. I'm convinced of that. Uh, whether it was ET or not, or maybe something uh, uh, from the Soviets, uh, uh, that I don't know. But yeah, there's so much talk in the news right now about uh, crash retrievals. It's coming up and it's getting talked about, uh, you know, pretty openly. You yeah, know? absolutely. And that, that's a case that I like. I would like to know what happened there. And I don't think we've gotten the full story on that. See, I recently I was watching. You know, I'm very familiar with Kecksburg, and I was watching uh, stuff about the Nazis and, and the, the craft they were building, the technology they were playing with. And a lot of people are describing the the bell, the, the, the Glock, 
um, that is kind of familiar that disappeared supposedly. And uh, they're thinking that that possibly might have been what crashed in Kecksburg because they're extremely familiar um, in shape and size. Yeah, somewhat similar. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, yeah. So, uh, yeah, again, I know uh, Leslie Keene, who was, who's uh, been a much higher profile over the last few years because of her work with the New York Times and all that. She went after she had sued NASA at some point regarding anything that uh, they might have regarding the Ketsburg case and, uh, you know, uh, uh, went to court. And uh, the final resolution was that uh, NASA said they couldn't find anything, that type of thing. So, yeah, there are definitely some old cases that I would like to know more about. Yeah, Kecksburg especially, because I live in Philadelphia, I have to go visit. You know, I should have done that a while ago. <laughs> right, um, right, right. But one thing I'm going to uh, check out, and you, you know this as well, the Philadelphia experiment. Um, happened here um, and they actually now give access for you to go down there and check it out where it actually happened um, which I didn't yeah, know about that until recently. I, yeah that one yeah that one I don't uh, I don't know too much about okay yeah you'll definitely have to check that one out that was a good one um, first time trying to uh, go invisible and uh, travel <laughs> and some crazy stuff happened people were singed into the wall half in and half out um it was it was crazy um but it's all documented and uh you can go see where it happened now it's pretty neat um so what uh so what lately have you been working on um anything particular special any, anything you want to talk about uh well uh, basically it's just continuing to maintain uh, the group I, you know I, I just added you today so uh, you've seen the group and yes. uh, basically <laughs> keep an eye on the news anything that's of some interest obviously uh, we have the occasional uh, you know uh, the uh, members uh, uh, they contribute and of course you keep your eye on this and that and it's a pretty good news feed uh, as far as that's concerned. So that's the main thing. I haven't been doing uh, any podcasts. Uh, uh, it's been a little over a year now since I've done a podcast. Uh, basically, it got to the point where I pretty much thought I said everything that I had to say. And it was just time to take a break from it. And I just haven't picked it back up yet. Yeah, that's understandable. I get it. And uh, so, yeah, mostly it's just keeping my eye on things, uh, uh, making sure that if uh, something uh, is uh, worthwhile, it uh, gets posted over to the Facebook group, the UFO News Network, and uh, you can you can track that down on Facebook. And then, yeah, I've got the Twitter feed and, that, and get involved in that. But I find uh, Twitter a little bit frustrating because of the character limitations. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, you know, when I do have to uh, say something or feel the need to say something, I, I can run on a little bit. So Twitter is not really conducive to that. But some people have I gotten a lot better at it than I am. Right. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, I think it's a good time to go ahead and take our break. And when we get back, we can okay. discuss some uh, maybe some more up to date stuff that's going on today in the news and the community and UFO. Um, yep. So everybody just uh, hold on and we'll go ahead and take our break and we'll be right back. Are you looking for some new swag? Well, UFO Encounters Worldwide now has an official clothing line and store where you can get your official merchandise. It's storefrontier.com slash UFO Encounters Worldwide. You can select from a large variety of all kinds of gear, t-shirts, hoodies, sweatpants, masks, can cozies, and more. We'll be adding more designs as time moves on, but there are two amazing ones on there now. And if you're looking to also support the show, you can sponsor to our PayPal and donate if you like. If not, that's okay too. Check out our swag store. Again, that's storefrontier.com slash UFO Encounters Worldwide today. Going out this weekend? Have plans with friends for the weekend? Maybe you're going to a birthday shower, baby shower, or a party? Well, check out GD Blings and Things. They have everything to make you look amazing for any occasion. An official sponsor of UFO Encounters Worldwide. UFO Encounters Worldwide wants to hear from you. Have an experience or a sighting you should want to share? Contact your host, Jesse Peake, at ufoencountersworldwide at gmail.com today. 
Did you know UFO Encounters Worldwide has an official website for the podcast? That's right. You can go to ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com today and check out all of the cool content we have on the UFO phenomenon. You can get all of the content and information for each episode on the website. Plus, you can follow my travels and see some of my work. There's even new weekly updates on the UFO phenomenon with megalithic structures and different places from around the world with UFO sightings. That's ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. Check it out today. The official sponsor of UFO Encounters Worldwide podcast, hosted by Jesse Peak, MUFON field investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia, is Gypsy Days Outfitters. Go check out their brand new store over at Etsy. They have a variety for everybody and everything. So check them out today. Again, that's Gypsy Days Outfitters, the official sponsor of our show. Have you or someone you know had a UFO sighting and experienced some kind of electrical malfunction? Well, we have good news. We have started a project called Project BatTech 404. Battery technology and 404 stands for an error code you get with technology. You can report your UFO sighting that experienced electrical malfunctions at battech404researchmembers at gmail.com. You can also check out the official website, which explains all of our goals that we're looking to accomplish and how it's going to benefit the UFO community. This is a public project, so we also share the cases we have researched for the project. The website is projectbadtech404.wordpress.com. Check it out today. And if you know somebody that has had an encounter, please email us so we can help the research and the data grow. Thank you. All right, welcome back to the second half of episode 59 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. Again, this episode is sponsored by GD Blings and Things. Their store is about to drop shortly. We'll keep you updated on that. And please go check out All Things UFO Facebook group. It's a great community to be a part of, get some good information, and uh, get involved with some people in the UFO community. It's great. Um, and we are back with our guest, Frank. Uh, we were talking about some stuff about uh, um, conversations with Dr. Gary Nolan, um, but I've also seen recently on Twitter um, conversations uh, going on with yourself about Dr. Eric Davis, um, and I wanted to kind of get you uh, get the update on what's going on. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been going on for about three years. I don't think uh, really a whole lot has changed, except uh, uh, there are the, uh, the Wilson Davis notes, which actually got mentioned. I was uh, kind of shocked to see it by uh, uh, Congressman uh, Gallagher. Uh, he asked uh, uh, the two folks, uh, Moultrie was one of them, and I forget the name of the other yes, guy yes. who testified for uh, uh, the House uh, the House panel, and uh, he asked about it. And, well, <laughs> you know, uh, but uh, basically it's uh, a uh, notes uh, written, uh, purportedly written by Eric Davis, who will not comment uh, on the notes. And uh, he had a, a, a conversation with uh, Admiral Thomas Wilson, who had been a, a defense uh, intelligence chief uh, when he retired. But basically, it, it, supposedly uh, they're, they're based on... Uh, an exchange that actually did happen uh, while uh, Wilson uh, was still in the Pentagon. He was uh, still in the intel field. Uh, he was uh, approached by uh, Stephen Greer and Edgar Mitchell, and uh, they went in and briefed him on uh, various uh, uh, UFO reverse engineering type programs uh, that were black, and I guess uh, uh, per them when they went. And th that did happen. Uh, nobody questions that. Uh, provided him with some sort of leads. Now, as far as uh, Wilson says, uh, that's where everything stopped, okay? But as far as uh, uh, these notes say that Wilson actually followed up, uh, that, that he got kind of stonewalled, he actually found a particular program, went out, 
uh, to the uh, defense contractor that was running it and uh, basically was uh, given the heads up that uh, the program relates to uh, recovered uh, craft uh, that they're reverse engineering. So uh, that's the story. It gets a little hazy. I mean, some of it we know for sure is true. So uh, that is the case. And when these notes came out, it's been more than three years ago already, when these notes came out, uh, uh, there were obviously some people in the field that uh, didn't ask uh, skeptical questions, uh, had uh, just uh, thought that this is it, you know, this is, uh, uh, this is the smoking gun, this is the big deal. And when I read through the notes, I had a lot of problems with them right away. And so basically, it's the same conversations that have been going on for three years. Uh, uh, really, not a whole lot has changed. So, uh, it, but uh, yeah, uh, apparently uh, Gary Nolan, who you asked about before, had uh, briefed uh, Congressman Gallagher and had mentioned them. So uh, uh, mentioned these notes. So you know, uh, Gallagher then asked Moultrie and the other fellow. Uh, about the notes and uh, that really didn't go anywhere uh, but it got uh, a lot of people fired up uh, who are proponents of the notes that oh yes uh, these are these are real okay okay so it's just basically, so that's sort of where that's at now it's basically just been a thing back and forth is whether or not they're real or they're fake right <laughs> That's the, yeah, that's the yeah. big debate. And uh, Wilson is, uh, has been contacted, uh, and uh, he is uh, denied that they're accurate. He denies uh, the purported meeting took place in uh, uh, 2002. Uh, Wilson is on record as denying having ever even been in Las Vegas since, uh, I believe it was 1989-90. Uh, so uh, more than a decade before that was, uh, as far as he's, as far as he claims, he's never even been to Las Vegas. That's one thing they. There's no uh, no evidence to place him in Las Vegas on that particular day, and uh, I mean that, that's sort of where it stands now. Uh, it, like I said, it's uh, been a, an argument that's going back. The notes are real. The notes are real. But you also have to remember there's a, been a lot of material that's been released over the years uh, that uh, does. Uh, uh, does not really check out uh, as far as uh, uh, disinformation material, uh, Majestic 12 documents, uh, uh, Serpro material, things like that. And, uh, you know, and that, that's sort of where it is right now. I, I don't right. know that uh, uh, this is ever going to get resolved completely, unless, of course, you know, uh, the Congress uh, does what they say they're going to do and it comes through and uh, we get it, which is uh, uh, any kind of uh, uh, non-disclosure agreements getting waived, uh, security clearance uh, uh, getting waived, uh, that type of thing, uh, classifications getting waived and people coming forward and saying, yeah, this uh, this did happen. And in particular, uh, you know, Wilson or uh, Davis himself, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another question I have. So that's a, that's a good thing. Uh, that's a good thing. And uh, I was uh, definitely glad to see that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, with all that being said, um, you know, and we've known that the military and the government and the intelligence community has tried to control the narrative um, from since 1947 in Roswell, even before that. Um, and have you noticed, um, you know, with the, the, the ODNI report that came out and even some of the most recent stuff with the, the, the when they were on um, doing the briefing uh, recently on Capitol Hill, um, you know, they kind of don't go before 2000. Um, it's kind of making it, they're kind of trying to make it look like it's a newer phenomenon than it has been going on for all these years. Um, do, you, do, you, do you notice that at all with what the information well, that's yeah, come out? and that's sort of, I hate to say it's sort of uh, to be expected, not necessarily any kind of bad thing. But, uh, you know, in, uh, in my days uh, before I was semi-retired, I did uh, have a few management positions. And when you take over a management position, whether it's a, a new operation or it's one that's uh, uh, that's been around a while, uh, the main the main thing that you're doing uh, is sort of getting things set up, getting things going, making sure your systems uh, are in place and uh, going forward. So as far as going back and looking at historical cases, I mean, we all know them like the back of our hand, you know, right, at right. least uh, one or the other. Yeah, But uh, these guys may or may not, or they might have heard of this particular case, but really haven't gone back and uh, looked into it uh, all that carefully. So they, I, I would say that's kind of a, a kind of to be expected. Uh, the, the only way I think that uh, you're really going to have 
sort of a, a different reaction is to actually sort of champion the case that you like. I really like the Stephenville case that I mentioned earlier. Right. I, I think that's a great case. You know, your own your own MUFON. Uh, guys from that organization were able to FOIA some uh, uh, civilian private radar data, and uh, they came across a UFO that corresponds with some witness accounts that was, uh, according to them, and their read on the uh, data, uh, 500 feet tip to tip and uh, flying at 2,000 miles an hour. So, you know, whose was that? And uh, that's it. Uh, have you ever seen that report? No, I did not see that report. Okay. Yeah. That. Uh, well, I'll I'll send it to you. I'll send you a link to it directly. And uh, uh, it is buried in there a, a little while. With uh, uh, Robert Powell was uh, one of the co-authors, and I believe okay. the guy named uh, Glenn Schultz, I think is his name, uh, who uh, who wrote that report. Uh, the uh, the headline is kind of buried. You know what I mean? Uh, but uh, it, it's in there that uh, that they came across that. And yeah, I want to know what it is. Uh, the only other person who's really sort of uh, jumped on that case and talked about it a little bit and uh, asked what's been uh, going on about it is uh, 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 Christopher Mellon. He's okay. the only person. Hey, what happened there? And apparently what happened is, uh, if you know the time frame for the Stephenville case, it happened while... OSAP was running, or ATIP, or whatever you want to call it, while that effort was running. And uh, investigators for that program uh, did track down pilots who had gone up and uh, tried to intercept uh, uh, whatever was flying around up there, and they got stonewalled. Right. They, uh, you know, they were told uh, we're we're not going to talk to you guys. Uh, they had signed NDAs or whatever the case may be, and. Uh, so uh, they, they would not cooperate with the, uh, with the OSAP ATIP investigation. So uh, that uh, uh, that was interesting. He actually uh, dropped that on the uh, when uh, Mellon was interviewed on the Joe Rogan show. So that's the source for that. Okay. Yeah, that's a big show too. Um, yeah. So yeah, like the reason I was thinking that they're not going beyond the, the year 2000 is because there's been a lot of crazy stuff that's happened that the government has done to, to people, families, uh, we, we, we've known that they've given disinformation with good information to individuals and it caused them to kind of lose it a little bit, lose their families. Individuals have been put away saying that their experiences and have been abducted. So if they kind of go before 2000, it'll kind of open up a whole box of things that might get the pushback from them, you know, after all these years. And now to come to find out it's true and that all these people from before 2000 were telling the truth um, it would kind of hurt them in a way. Uh, it could be, it could be, but they seem to be responding to Congress, and I don't see a lot of questions from Congress. Uh, I haven't seen any related to uh, that end of the field. It seems like they're pretty focused on uh, sightings. Uh, they're pretty focused on, um, you know, uh, the data on, right, uh, right. or what, and uh, getting things going at least going forward. Uh, they'll have a, you know, a uh, proper, simple process uh, to uh, to get this done uh, and i don't know what's going on uh, in the you know uh, behind closed doors and the classifying end of things I, I don't know what's happening there and i also don't know uh what they've been told up to this point obviously uh melon and elizondo sort of uh, led led the charge in terms of getting this initiative going in the first place it's, you know uh, it wasn't anybody else i mean they, they pretty much uh, built this whole effort from scratch so uh, uh, I, I, I think, uh, based on what I'm seeing, I think they're largely staying sort of pretty grounded. Cases, uh, cases with sensor data backup, like radar, right. uh, any kind of video, that kind of thing. I think, by and large, they're staying pretty grounded, and that's uh, that's a good thing because uh, you know the, the radar, the sensor data, it's physical evidence. It's not proof that anything uh, might be from another planet, but it's physical evidence, you know. Right. And today we have better technology to make that happen. So, right, right. I mean, we've always had pretty good technology. If uh, you go back and uh, you look at the, the old material from like the Truman years, uh, that sort of thing, uh, they had radar back then. Uh, and uh, it, it was good enough. And uh, in particular, what always got their attention was, uh, of course, speed. You know, uh, Elizondo has talked about uh, multiple, you know, these five, six observables. Well, uh, one observable is, of course, speed. And uh, that's, that's kind of the key, uh, key one because it, it's 
you know, it's a real simple benchmark for people to understand. You know, uh, back then, uh, nothing had even uh, cracked the sound barrier until uh, late 47. So anything uh, observed or flying that would look like it's obviously going fast to the 760 miles an hour, it's like, well, what is that? You know, even if you pick it up on radar back in those days. Uh, same thing today. Yeah, there are quite a few aircraft that can do it. But uh, none of them are private. None of them are commercial. It's only military uh, aircraft that can uh, that can top Mach one. Uh, we don't have any SSTs uh, SSTs flying anymore. Right. Now, did you find it so, funny during the briefing that they were asked, "Have have we ever shot at any UFOs?" And the answer that they said was no. Um, and we know the Battle of LA that we've shot many. <laughs> um, did you did you catch yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's been a few uh, a few weeks already, and I don't specifically recall yeah i don't really uh, recall the exchange but uh, yeah i i wouldn't expect a lot of these guys to know uh that much at this point uh, like i say i, I really do think uh, in uh, in fairness to them and fairness uh, to moultrie and uh, the other guys that uh, when you're starting something up you're you're looking to get your systems in place uh, uh for the current moment and you also uh, looking to, to make sure that things run smoothly going forward. And yeah, you know, it's certainly possible that uh, at some point they'll go back. And again, uh, like I said, uh, you know, if you wanted to go back and look at something, I, I don't know that I would uh, say go back and look at uh, cases from the late 40s, like the Mantel case, for example, uh, in the late 40s or uh, through the 50s, or even some things like uh, People are talking a lot about uh, the Malmstrom case. Well, that happened in the 60s now. You know, how much are they really going to be able to find about that aside from talking to some witnesses? Are they, uh, are they going to be able to find that much else? How much time would it take? Resources and so on. Uh, but more contemporary cases where we absolutely know that there are uh, living witnesses like with Stephenville, like with the pilots who uh, uh, went up the in the air, uh, the Air Force pilots that went up in the air during that case. Uh, that's a different story. And uh, I think, yeah, you just uh, uh, get enough people to start uh, pounding the pavement on it. Uh, let's put it this way. Uh, Bill Clinton did when he was president. You know, he got the Air Force to investigate the, uh, uh, the Roswell case. Right. When he was president. Now, uh, nobody really likes the results of that. And I would agree with him, uh, but he did get it done. And another thing that got done uh, during that uh, investigation was the uh, Secretary of the Air Force waived security clearances, security oaths, that kind of thing, uh, in uh, an effort to find out more about that. But again, it was at such a late date. It's a, it's a little tough, you know, makes it tough. Right. Yeah, I guess I never really thought about it being more the fact that the, the newer the newer cases have more data. And because we have better technology today, it's better to have that than look back on cases where we can't really get that much data. So I, I understand. I completely agree with that. So it's an aspect that I didn't really think about yet, you know. And uh, one thing with the uh, the Nimitz case, you know, that was 04 already. You're talking about 18 years ago already. Yeah. Right? Yeah, already that's uh, that's a long time ago. But uh, on the podcast, uh, we had uh, one of the uh, the guys. It was uh, uh, PJ Hughes, and uh, he was uh, on the on the Nimitz. And obviously, there's been a lot of talk about the the, the fighters, uh, uh, Framer and uh, Dietrich, and uh, some of the people uh, who went out in uh, the fighter jets and uh, had uh, some sort of contact with some sort of UFO. But uh, there was also uh, an air, uh, a radar plane that was up in the air, a Hawkeye radar plane that was up in the air at the same time. And uh, per him, uh, someone from the Air Force, in fairly short order, flew out landed uh, on the Nimitz and uh, grabbed the, the data brick. Yes. Yep. The box. Yep. From, from the ra So, you know, uh, did that happen? Yeah. I, I have no reason to doubt that happened. I believe that guy. So, uh, yeah, uh, that is something like, where did that go? What happened with that? Where does it go? I have some ideas about where I think it might end up, but, you know, I'd like to see uh, uh, what these guys have, you know, uh, and it, it, the the you know the Congress people uh, hopefully they're armed with some really good specific questions uh, about that type of thing because we know cases have happened and uh, where did that data end up exactly yeah yeah um, and it's a shame because that's the good data that really should be out in the public to actually help us understand yeah. it better and yeah and uh, not to harp on uh, Stephenville too much but if civilian radar picked up that well what did the military radar pick up and where did that data go 
Exactly. You know, we had they have way more data that they could be given out to help investigate. Yeah, yeah, they, they've got the gear. They've got the gear. And uh, also, uh, just uh, for a point, uh, there uh, uh, civilian uh, aviation will use a military uh, radar installations, uh, kind of depending on uh, where you're located. There, there are commercial, uh, like in an area like this, like in Philly or you know, along the East Coast, uh, uh, there are uh, plenty of uh, commercial uh, uh, radar installations that uh, airports will tie into. And then what like an air traffic controller is looking at, the transponder data and then the radar data, that's sort of a merged screen. It's uh, the merger of the, of the transponder data and the radar data. So that's what an, uh, an ATC is looking at. But in some parts of the world, like over Alaska with the JAL case, uh, that data, uh, the, those radar installations, you know, it's not commercially feasible to build, <laughs> to build radar up there, right? right you know what I mean? Right, yeah. So uh, uh, like, for example, in the uh, J- uh, Japan Airlines case, uh, that particular radar installation uh, that was owned by the Air Force, for example. Okay. Okay. So, um, <laughs> so in today's in today's you know most recent stuff, um, people that are researchers and investigators um, that have been in the field for some time, what do you think that we should be really focused on now? You know, what what, what should we focus our attention on at this point in time to help push for disclosure? Uh, I would say develop a if you're really just starting out if you're uh, literally a sort of a noob i would say uh, find a particular area uh, that you're interested in whether it's a type of case or cases in the philadelphia area for example or the wichita kansas area if you live out that way uh, maybe it's geographical maybe it's a type of case that you're particularly interested in uh, maybe it's a, a professional background that you have uh, we had a guy uh, on our show, uh, named uh, Dave Fouch, who you know works with Lear cameras. That's his job. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so he he brings that sort of uh, professional background to the field. Uh, develop kind of an area of expertise. You might come uh, uh, might come to the field with it, or you have to develop it. But do that, and then then start branching off. But you know, if you have a some area, no matter how small, of expertise. You'll always have uh, something to bring to the table if you get my meaning. So you're an expert on this, but an expert on something else. You might be, t- even if it's a, a very uh, well, uh, well-known well UFO researcher and somebody who's built up a name in the field, that kind of thing. If you build up a particular area of expertise, you might be able to tell that guy there's something that he doesn't know about. You know what I mean? In, right. the, same, in the same way we all can tell. Uh, these Pentagon, uh, these Pentagon people, and uh, these uh, Congress people about things that uh, that uh, that they don't, you know, that they don't know about. You know what I mean? Absolutely, and that that comes into the, the kind of the counter question as well. Um, what about talking to our congressmen and women? Do you think that's still a good idea to do that to push for them? Yeah. Yeah, you can contact them, sure, you know, uh, by phone, uh, drop a note, drop a letter, drop an email. They've all got their own websites, yes. so they're all pretty accessible, too. Yeah, I try to so, I try to preach that a lot because I'm, I'm somebody uh-huh. that, that keeps in contact with them on a, on a monthly basis, and I think it does help in the long term. They need to know about this. Yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got Fitzpatrick up here I, uh, who actually has a, a kind of an intel background a little bit from the military. Okay. Uh, who, uh, you said yeah, you're in Philly? You Bob said, who's Casey. I've been in touch with Bob Casey for, for a while now. Oh, okay. Senator. Okay. Yeah. okay. So, so you're, you're, you're going up. You're not even going up. Well, I, but, I know, did reach what, out to all of them. I did reach out to all of them, but Bob Casey is the one that responded personally. He has sent me letters, um, and he has the intelligence part of a, a part of Congress, uh, the senator. So okay. it works out perfectly. And yes, uh, the senator is obviously uh, Toomey's going to be moving along. He's our other uh, senator here. Uh, yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't really. And he, uh, he's good answer he doesn't answer and every yeah. time he well, sends he's going to be moving along anyway he's going to be uh, he's not going to be the senator uh come september so uh, uh it'll be uh, you know uh, they've got their nominees i don't want to talk i don't think you want to talk politics no, too much. no. <laughs> but uh, i'll tell you one thing though i'm greatly encouraged about is uh, that uh, this does seem to be a a real bipartisan effort a bipartisan interest in that getting uh, uh, more information about it it's almost astonishing like it's not even real they are you know uh, democrats and republicans argue over uh, the most vain stuff at times you know 
And with this, they all seem to be on the same page. Yes. Conservatives, uh, liberals, uh, Republicans, Democrats. It's And uh, uh, some of them over time have uh, shifted gears too. You know, it's like, well, okay, well, uh, at first, you know, when this was all first starting up, they kind of brushed it off. But then now, well, now uh, they're a little bit more interested. Yeah. So I, I think this is interesting. And, it, you know, obviously everything that we're seeing uh, has been uh, initiated from Congress and uh, the the two guys who really uh, kicked uh, uh, kicked Congress and uh, really gave him a kick were obviously uh, uh, Chris Mellon and Lou Elizondo. So they deserve full marks for that. I, you know, when all this started, I didn't see I didn't see this coming. I knew that as early as uh, 2018, they were there. They were lobbying. They were uh, they were getting uh, in uh, doing briefings with staffers and that kind of thing. But I never thought it would get this kind of result. But I think that's been the most surprising thing over the last five years that they actually got this kind of result. Right. And they did. Right. Got to give credit. Yep, and we've been trying to do that for over 75 years, and now it's finally happening. So. It's something to look forward to, and now you can only imagine what the future holds, you know? Um, yep, yep. We're at the end of the show, so do you want to tell everybody again where they can follow you, where they can get in touch with you at? Yeah, at uh, Facebook, it is uh, the UFO News Network, and you can search on that. So uh, there's that. That's one place to start. Uh, online, uh, the website is ufopartisan.blogspot.com. And then on YouTube, it's a UFO News Network Sunday. So uh, those are the three main. And yeah, and uh, yeah, I guess you can also follow me on Twitter, uh, UFO. <laughs> Not that I care that much about. All I, all I ever do there is argue with people, as you found out. Yeah, so, it's, it can uh, but, uh, UFO uh, News Network uh, Sunday is uh, the uh, okay, uh, yeah UFO Sunday. So uh, those are uh, those are the four spots. So we've got the uh, UFO News Network Facebook group. UFO dot blog, uh, UFO partisan dot blogspot dot com, uh, and uh, then UFO News Network Sunday uh, on YouTube and on Twitter. Awesome, so there you and, go. I, and I do have uh, your your information in the description of the episode for your uh, the UFO partisan and the YouTube channel, so you guys can catch that down at the bottom in the description below. Um, and Frank, I want to thank you for coming on today, man. I, I have really sure I, time so- really flew. <laughs> Yeah, and I it might, was a good I conversation. Might start up my, uh, my podcast again. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. Well, I want to thank you for coming on, man. I want to hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll have to do it again in the future. Yep, just let me know, Jesse. I sure do appreciate it. Thanks so much. Uh, yeah. Again, it was a lot of fun. No problem. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in to today's episode 59. We will be back next week with Stephen Bassett to discuss some of the things he's been working on. So until (laughs) then, remember to keep your eyes in the sky. Well, I want to give a big thank you for Frank for coming on today and talking about some of his recent conversations with Gary Nolan and some of the other information he's been working on. Please go over and check out his YouTube channels. There's plenty of interviews and content on there, as well as keeping up on his U- the UFO partisan blog spot that he has. There's always great information over there. Next week, we have a very special guest, Stephen Bassett. I'm pretty sure just about everybody in the UFO field knows who he is. So we'll be diving into a bunch of fresh information that he's been working on lately. And remember, today's episode was sponsored by GD Blings and Things and also Gypsy Dave's Outfitters. Check out their store over at Etsy and they help support a small business. Um, They help everything we do here um, to make it possible. So please go ahead and check them out. And uh, we'll look forward to next week with our conversation with Stephen Bassett. So until then, remember to keep your eyes in the sky.